Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. A fire broke out at the Democratic Republic of Congo's Independent National Electoral Commission's building in Kinshasa. And the International Conference on the Great Lakes Region calls on members to do everything possible to improve relations between Burundi and Rwanda. In sports news, Chad Leclerc helps Team South Africa reach its first relay final. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The United Nations has expressed concern that a devastating fire in a warehouse holding electoral materials, including voting machines, could hamper the holding of elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo. A blaze at a warehouse of the Independent National Electoral Commission in the capital, Kinshasa, destroyed thousands of voting machines and ballot boxes just more than a week before crucial presidential and legislative elections on 23 December. Reports suggest some 8,000 of just over 10,000 machines were destroyed destroyed in the fire, while responsibility for the fire has yet to be determined. The Secretary-General spokesperson, Farhan Haq. Preliminary reports indicate that polling station kits from Kinshasa and a large number of voting machines and other electoral materials were destroyed in the fire. Uh, a MONUSCO firefighting unit was rapidly de- deployed to the scene and helped to extinguish the fire. Uh, so far, the details surrounding the cause of the fire are unknown. We have been very clear, including through the head of the UN mission there, Leila Zurugi, uh, our concerns about uh, any actions taken by various parties that could impede the holding of elections on the ground. And we are encouraging all parties uh, to assist in the, in the holding of, of free and fair elections. Uh, obviously, any sort of uh, incidents like this are a cause for concern in that respect. Cameroon President Paul Biya has called a halt to the prosecution of 289 separatists from the West African country's Western English-speaking regions. Since the secessionists took up arms last year, attacks by their fighters and a crackdown by the authorities have led to the death of at least 500 civilians as well as more than 200 members of the security forces. Separatist leader Julius Sisiku Ayuk Tabe went on trial on December 6 on charges of terrorism and secession. 
Two truck drivers have been arrested and are facing charges of human trafficking. This after police in Rustenburg in South Africa's northwest province found about 29 undocumented Zimbabwe nationals being transported by the suspects. It is alleged that children aged between 15 months and 15 years, together with other 15 adults aged between 19 and 54, were found in a mini-truck trailer. It is reported that all the illegal migrants were being transported to Cape Town. The Hawk spokesperson in the province Tlangelani Rehozo says the truck drivers arrested will appear at the Rustenburg Magistrates Court next week Wednesday. 12 unaccompanied and um, undocumented minors aged between 3 and 15 years have been taken to a place of safety. Also an additional two but accompanied minors also undocumented were taken with their mothers to a place of safety as well. The rest of the adults are being charged under the Immigration Act. The UN Security Council has renewed its peacekeeping mission to the Central African Republic after tough talks between the United States, France and Russia. Russia had slammed the French approach as arrogant and abstained together with China on the final vote which was carried by the remaining 13 members of the Security Council. The mandate allows for the deployment of 11,650 military personnel and 2,080 police as part of the UN mission known as MINUSCA to be extended until November 15, 2019. The mandate was supposed to have been renewed in mid-November, but could only be extended for a month because of objections raised by Washington and Moscow. And the United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has announced that the warring parties in Yemen have agreed to a truce in the vital port of Hodeida. Government troops and Houthi rebel forces are to be withdrawn within days to allow for humanitarian aid deliveries. Guterres says the ceasefire is crucial in order to deliver aid to those affected by the conflict. The agreements today mean a lot, not only for the Yemeni people, mean a lot for humanity if this can be a starting point for peace and for ending the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. On Sunday, the 23rd December, Channel Africa will bring you news updates on the DRC presidential elections as well as updates throughout the festive season. Tune in to www.channelafrica.co.za or Channel 802 on the DSTV Bouquet or Shortwave. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A fire has broken out in the Democratic Republic of Congo's Independent National Electoral Commission's building in Kinshasa, destroying electoral equipment, including thousands of voting machines. This happened 10 days before the December 23rd elections, while the electoral campaign is underway with violence. At least five militants of the divided opposition have been killed and others injured, and indeed, the two opposition coalitions are blaming each other. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. Several electoral equipment to be used for December 23rd elections were kept in the Electoral Commission's building that was hit by fire during the night of Wednesday to Thursday here in Kinshasa. 
That's indeed what a member of the Independent National Electoral Commission staff told the media here. The communication director Jean-Baptiste Tipo said 7,000 voting machines have been consumed by fire. Mr. Tipo then said the incident is not an obstacle for elections to be held on December 23rd as expected. But what's not known up to now is the cause of the fire as this is still being investigated for more lights according to him. Only 10 days remain for this country to hold the three elections including the presidential, the national and the provincial parliamentary elections and indeed the electoral campaign is underway but with violence in the field. The opposition remains divided and indeed both Martin Fayulu's Lamuka coalition and Felix Chisekedi's Kapulushanshma, well known as Cash coalition, are blaming each other after at least five people were killed during clashes between police and Lamuka's militants, while the coalition's candidate Martin Fayulu arrived for campaigning in two towns of the former Katanga, including Lubumbashi and Kalemia. On the other side, the Kapulushanshma coalition cancelled its candidate campaign in Butembo in the North Kivu province. The coalition candidate for president Felix Chisekedi accused the other opposition coalition to have hired people in order to disrupt his campaign. Felix Chisekedi. Lamuka's troublemakers work with people such as Mai Mai and I really do not understand why our friends of Lamuka are against us while we have a common target and that's uh, this regime that we need to change. They pretend to be the victim in Katanga but also they are the hangman. I'm sorry but do not accuse people on power. The Lamuka coalition immediately reacted on Felix Chisekedi's statement and found it suspicious that the coalition members are being chased by people on power but it's indeed the very same time another opposition coalition is on the regime's side to attack them. The director of Lamuka's candidate for president electoral campaign who made the statement regretted that Felix Chisekedi could attack the coalition at the time they have lost at least five people. Pierre Lumbi believes Chisekedi and his supporters have lost a target and have to correct. Pierre Lumbi. We are the victims but it's us that they accuse. Those who have been killed are not UDPS militants, but they are population under the Lamuka coalition. I really think they have missed the enemy. How come it's the time the regime is chasing us that some opposition comrades join them to chase us? The two opposition coalitions facing the common front for the Congo's candidate Emmanuel Ramazani Shadari are campaigning while very divided. Martin Fayulu's Lamuka coalition is calling on voters to reject the voting machine while Felix Chisekedi's cap Pulo Shanshma is telling supporters to go and vote. On the other side, the ruling coalition's candidate for president Emmanuel Ramazani Shadari has already campaigned in 13 provinces out of this country's 26 provinces while none of the opposition candidates has succeeded up to now to campaign in 10 provinces also only 10 days remain before people here in the Democratic Republic of Congo can go to polls in order to choose a new president to replace the outgoing Joseph Kabila. The very same December 23rd, Congolese will have to vote members of both the national and provincial parliaments as well. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
The International Conference on the Great Lakes Region urges its members and its partners to do everything possible to improve relations between Burundi and Rwanda. For the ICGLR, the current tension between the two neighboring countries remains a serious concern. The tension broke out in 2015 when President Pierre Nkurunziza of Burundi decided to run for a third presidential term, a decision which prompted a political crisis still hurting the country. From Bujumbura, Bernard Bankukira reports. Unfortunately, the main exception is Burundi and Rwanda, uh, who do not uh, as yet enjoy cordial relations. This is Zakari Muburi Mwita, the International Conference on the Great Lakes Region Executive Secretary, expressing his regrets over the mounting tension between Burundi and Rwanda. Speaking on the official launch of a regional project on peace and security in the Great Lakes Region in Bujumbura, the ICGLR Executive Secretary called on member states and partners to handle the crisis urgently before it escalates. Although the region still faces daunting peace and security challenges, it is certainly much better than it was when ICGLR was created a dozen years ago. Unfortunately, the main exception is Burundi and Rwanda, uh, who do not uh, as yet enjoy cordial relations. And we urge member states as well as partners that the, the, the existing tension between these two neighboring states be urgently handled before the escalate any further. However, uh, we are happy to note that uh, the uh, recently allowed the enhanced joint verification mechanism uh, that is based in Goma to carry out a verification missions on their common border issues. So although the outcome of the report is yet to be discussed by the ministers of defense, we nevertheless welcome the spirit of submitting to this confidence building organ of the ICDLR. On his side, said Jinit the special envoy of the UN Secretary General in the Great Lakes region spoke of a very worrying situation. He said initiatives undertaken to improve relations between Burundi and Rwanda are yet to bear positive results. He informed the Congolese President Denisa Sungweso, together with the Ugandan President Yori Museveni, have been entrusted the mandate to improve relations between Burundi and Rwanda. With respect to the question on the relation between uh, Burundi and Rwanda and uh, broadly some situation of relations between some countries of the Great Lakes region, I, I, would, I would like to say the following. One, it has been uh, a source of concern to me as Special Envoy of the Secretary General for the Great Lakes, but I must say on behalf of uh, Ambassador Muita, we have been discussing this together and we have been uh, separately and jointly drawing the attention of the leadership of the leaders of the, of the leadership of the region on this situation, on the relation between Rwanda and Burundi, but the relations of other uh, countries, between other countries, because we have seen some tension between some countries of the region, what we usually call the mistrust, you know, the deficit of, of trust in, in, in the region is, remains one key issue. So some, we have uh, discussed at length this matter with uh, President Sasungesu in his double capacity last year when he was the chairman of the STGLR, he's still the chairman of the STGLR, and he was the chair of the Regional Oversight Mechanism of the Peace Security Cooperation Framework. So we both, uh, Ambassador Mutan and I, went to him and we asked him that we should take some initiatives to try to improve some relations between the countries of the region, notably between Rwanda and Burundi. There have been some, some efforts, but these efforts have not been success- successful so far. And uh, I want to uh, bring to the attention of colleagues here that at the last summit of the Regional Offsite Mechanism in October in uh, Uganda, the Regional Offsite Mechanism, the leaders that are coming together once a year under the Peace Security Cooperation Framework, the Addis Ababa Framework Agreement, 
there was a discussion on this, and they have entrusted President Sassou as the chairman of the ICJLR and the outgoing chair of the Regional Offset Mechanism, in liaison with President Museveni, who is the chair of the Regional Offset Mechanism for this year, uh, for, for, the, for this term, to take initiatives towards improving relations between countries of region in general, but we had in mind in particular the relations between, Bur between Burundi and uh, Rwanda. I'm planning to go and visit President uh, Sassungesu to uh, follow up on the mandate given to him by the summit in liaison with uh, President Museveni. Relations between Burundi and Rwanda, two neighboring nations of the Great Lakes region, are at loggerheads since Burundi fell into the political crisis in 2015 as Rwanda welcomed thousands of Burundian refugees fleeing their country in crisis. Burundi has been accusing Rwanda of recruiting training and arming refugees to turn them into rebels to overthrow the governmental president Pienkronziza as Rwanda in turn accused Burundi of hosting the Interahamwe militia known to have committed genocide in Rwanda in 1994. Till now, the situation is unlike to be mended as the two countries continue to mutually accuse each other of hosting rebel groups plotting to overthrow its government. Though the tension looks unlike to trigger war between the two neighboring countries, cross accusations remain a great threat. Recently, President Pienkurunziza wrote a letter to his Ugandan counterpart, Yoweri Museveni, the current chairman of the East African Community, EAC, calling for an extraordinary summit whose agenda should be to clear the issue of open conflict between Burundi and Rwanda. On his side, the Ugandan president responded that the request should be tackled during the upcoming summits of the EACs of states scheduled for December 27th this year. For Channel Africa, this is Benel Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. Mozambique has appointed three top commanders of RENAMO, Mozambique's largest opposition party and former rebel movement, to key army command posts as part of peace-building efforts between the government and RENAMO. Renamo's generals were named to the key positions of Director of Operations, Director of the Military Information and Director of Communications. Peace talks with President Felipe Nusi's government began in 2016 in a process initiated by Renamo's veteran leader, Afonso Takama, who died in May last year. The ruling Felimo party has been in power since Mozambique won independence from Portugal in 1975. Our Mozambican correspondent, Bright Sonjera, has more. This is uh, the situation that uh, the late Apostle Jakama discussed uh, with the president of Mozambique, uh, Philippe Jacinto-Yung. They agreed that uh, some of the uh, soldiers from Renamo have to join uh, the uh, security uh, government, the government, and now uh, these soldiers have been uh, promoted. But what is coming out from uh, Renamo is saying uh, they are saying that these are the members inside, uh, these are the soldiers that have been working under the government since uh, the ceasefire uh, uh, in various years ago. Uh, what they are looking for as a Renamo is that they want uh, some people who are still working now to, to join the government soldiers and not only uh, promotion, being promoted to only the people who have been working uh, under the, uh, w with the government uh, since uh, the time the 
uh, a ceasefire agreement. Uh, so as of now, uh, lots of people they are saying that uh, it is the good uh, what has uh, uh, agreed uh, with the mayor Alfonso Jakama, and now uh, the, the government is implementing uh, the the peace and tranquility in the country. So sure. what is uh, good now? The good news is that uh, the European Union uh, donated the 50 million uh, US uh, euros. The, the funds that will uh, accommodate the Renamo soldiers into the government and uh, operation uh, that will be operation so that uh, the Renamo soldiers must, must return the equipment that has been uh, working with uh, in the bush or so the place where the coordinator of uh, Renamo is living. There's a lot of soldiers there of Renam, and now uh, they want to return everything that they have, they are keeping over there. Are there any timelines uh, bright in terms of when uh, full integration is going to happen? Of course, as of now, the, the president of the Republic, uh, this is the Philippe City News, is saying that uh, uh, they still in the discussions of the coordinator of Renamo Sufu Momad so that they see when are uh, uh, they going to start these operations and integration. Uh, what has happened is that the uh, government called the international observers to, uh, to assist the government when they do that operation and the integration. But as of now, there's no evidence that has been laid out that uh, uh, all the integration will start from ABCD up to ABCD. So as of now, what I, uh, I can assure uh, the listeners is that uh, uh, Renamo uh, is still uh, saying, uh, accusing the government to rob elections of uh, 2018. That was in uh, 10 October last year. Uh, uh, this year. So still saying that the discussions of peace and tranquility in the country will hold after the, uh, the first thing to discuss will be the elections, the local government elections, is what Osuf Mamad uh, said. It has been a while since Osuf Mamad took over the Renamo leadership on an interim basis uh, following Glakama's death last year. Do we know when a new leader will be elected? Of course. Uh, the, the national convention uh, that will be a part of convention will be uh, in January so that there is where they will uh, elect the new leader of uh, Renamo. What I what I knew from the um, leadership of Afonso Jakama, they are saying that uh, one the leadership of Afonso Jakama, one of the brother of his brother, uh, will be taking place of the Afonso Jakama in the party. But this is just the idea uh, from the uh, from the Afonso uh, Jakama relative. They are saying that. Uh, uh, the one who was one of the uh, brothers of Afonso Jagama had to take place of Afonso Jagama so that the name of Afonso Jagama must not die in the party. So they will continue uh, keeping the Afonso Jagama. That's Bright Sonjera, our reporter in Mozambique, on the line from the capital Maputo, speaking to Kumbele Mujelele.
The relationship between Russia and South Africa was celebrated during the unveiling of 67 names of Soviet Russian soldiers who died during the liberation struggle in South Africa. The Soviet soldiers fought side by side with liberation armies not only in South Africa but also in Angola and Mozambique. The former Soviet Union also provided financial aid and military expertise and assisted with personnel training. Lila Machnas reports. The incorporation of the names of 67 Russian Soviet soldiers who died during the freedom struggle in South Africa is an indication that South Africa remembers and cares. That is the message of the ambassador of the Russian Federation in South Africa, Mikhail Petrakov. 67 names, not many. But every human life is valuable. No, it is priceless. So, be it 67 more or less, we shall always remember their names uh, and uh, their feet. Because we are living today in the present, which is, with all the problems we are having, is a happy one. For the people who gave their lives back then, our present was their future, into which they did not live. But we must be grateful to them and we must remember, and this is what we are doing now. The 67 names join more than 139,000 names on the wall, which honour the people who fought and died in the eight liberation struggles that shaped a free South Africa. The defence attaché of the Russian Federation to the Republic of South Africa, Vyacheslav Osipov, says by commemorating the fallen heroes, it ensures they will live forever. I know if uh, after 30, 40 years your name if you died or sacrificed, uh, sacrificed your life for, the, uh, for your country and uh, the country and the people who struggled for the re- re- liberation is commemorated in the desk, that means that your death was not in vain. Arts and Culture Minister Natim Tetwa says Russia should be honoured for the role they played not only in the liberation of South Africa, but the liberation of Southern Africa. The progressive forces of South Africa share a long history with Russians and Cubans who occupied a prominent place as allies in our struggle for liberation within the African continent. It is fitting that this place, the Freedom Park, unveils the names of those Russians, Russian and Cuban internationalists who fell on the soil and are inscribed alongside those of the South African revolutionaries who died during the decades-long liberation struggle. Petrakov emphasized that the youth is the key to ensure the names and history of the fallen heroes are remembered. I am Lila Magnus in Pretoria. Landowners in South Sudan's capital, Juba, and the northeastern town, Wau, have accused the United Nations mission in the country, UNMIS, of illegally taking hundreds of acres of their land. But UNMIS says it will revert the land back to the owners once the displaced people return to their homes next year. James Mangula reports. According to the landowners in South Sudan, the United Nations mission in the country has been illegally using their land for five years. The owners have land in South Sudan's capital, Juba, 
and the northeastern town of Wau, near the country's border with the Central African Republic. The owners say the UN mission has used their land to illegally settle more than 40,000 internally displaced people. They assert that the UN mission has never consulted them for permission to use their land as settlement areas. Let us hear from Atanas Chongo, who legally owns land in South Sudan's capital, Yuba, the very land that has been illegally taken by the UN mission. This land was demarcated and legally given to us. We own the land and we have the documents for it and we started to develop it. I am talking here, somebody who has already had, say, a foundational uh, structures in place. But now to be surprised that the land had been given to enemies. Steve McCall planned to develop his land in 2013 when it was registered in his name. Now, after five years, he cannot develop the land located on the outskirts of the capital, Juba, because, as he puts it, it has been taken by Unimis. All my plan has been blocked because someone is there. We are not against those who are staying there, but we are against the process which has been done, our land to be confiscated and to be occupied by Unimis. Makwele Deng has two pieces of land in the northeastern town of Wau. Unimis has occupied the land since 2016. They are there now for almost three years. They cannot continue occupying our lands saying that this is an emergency. No. Imagine supposed to go there for one month, three months at least, and then they request a land from the government, and government, I'm sure, they can give them a land. But why, why they are actually, they, they are talking about human rights, but they are violating our rights. You see, these are our rights. That was Makwel Deng, one of the owners of land that he and other two South Sudan citizens say has been illegally taken by the UN mission in the country. Responding to the accusation by the landowners, the head of the UN mission in South Sudan, David Sierra, acknowledges that indeed his mission occupies people's land. However, Sierra says... The land will in the future be reverted to the owners. He gives an example of internally displaced people who resided on the land in Wau, but some of them have returned to their rural homes. In Wau, there were 39,000 people a year ago. Today, there are around about 14,000. So 16,000 people nearly have gone back to their homes. As they go back to their homes, we'll be in a position to hand that land back to its owners. That was David Sierra, head of the United Nations Mission in South Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. In the headlines, Togo's government maintains parliamentary elections will take place later this month despite an opposition boycott and deadly violence. The United Nations expresses concern that a devastating fire in a warehouse holding electoral materials, including voting machines, could hamper the holding of elections in the DRC. And the UN Security Council renews its peacekeeping mission to the Central African Republic after tough talks between the United States, France and Russia. I'll have details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. (laughs) 
Thank you, Amanda. It's 8.31 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa is hosting over 3,000 scientists, policymakers and students from around the world for a science forum. The three-day gathering brings together exhibitors to showcase scientific innovations and ignite conversations which look at ways in which the African continent can achieve the sustainable development goals. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by the Deputy Director General of the Science and Technology Department, Mboneni Moifo. Good morning, Mboneni, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning to you and good morning to all the listeners. Now, talk to us about this forum. What are are its uh, objectives and how has it been going so far? Well, firstly, the, the forum has been going very well so far, and, and this is really a, a platform that we created a few years ago for us as a continent, basically, to have some critical dialogue in the area of science, technology, and innovation. And this really is broken down into a number of very critical areas, including the uh, science policies, how the science policies have an impact on the economy and on businesses and economic growth, and also looking generally at how we need to configure ourselves, uh, especially as we begin to consider and and move into the fourth industrial revolution. Now, what role does science and technology have or play in addressing the SDGs? So, so you, you, we will never address the SDGs without science, technology, and innovation, um, because the issue is about uh, making sure that we deal with the aspects of hunger, poverty, and uh, take care of our environment at the same time. And if you recall, uh, you will know that um, we have been battling with this whole issue of climate change now for a number of years, and critically for us to address that is to begin to do the things we do in a better way, and that includes uh, having to incorporate the aspect of innovation in every single thing that we do. So there isn't anything, when you talk about the food that we eat, when you talk about me talking to you now and getting our voice projected to millions and millions of Africans, we basically are talking science, technology, and innovation. So it really cuts across every single aspect of our life. So as a result of that, there can't be economic growth, there can't be development, there can't be eradication of poverty and hunger without science, technology and innovation. Now, let's speak about the fourth industrial revolution. Um, we've heard it being thrown around and uh, seemingly there isn't a clear understanding in layman's terms what the fourth industrial revolution is. Just can you break it down for us and, and what it speaks to? Yeah, so, so I think the, it's very, the difference between the fourth and the other industrial revolutions that have come across is that the fourth industrial revolution is about the, it's not about the one thing. So if you go back, you find that one of the previous ones would have been about the steam engines, the other one would have been about the electricity, the other one would have been about ICT. But the fourth industrial revolution is about how all the sciences actually converge to have this huge influence on our lives. And as a result of that, there is a lot of complexity in it in terms of just making sure that you're going to pinpoint it into this thing. For example, you talk about um, 
issues of artificial intelligence, which is how the machines and us as people actually interact for us to get into all sorts of predictions, be it diagnostics, be it about aspects of machine learning. So it's really is a mixture and a convergence of different sciences. So you therefore look at how ICTs, the life sciences, the physical sciences come together to make our lives better. And, and, and the challenge, the biggest challenge about the fourth industrial revolution is that even in terms of how you teach at schools, it's got a huge impact because we are used to, us who have, who have done the sciences, go to school and do physics and chemistry or go and do engineering. But the fourth industrial revolution is about how all those converge. So it means that when we train, the, for example, the worker of the future, you may have to consider how human sciences social sciences, life sciences, the engineering and the physics and the chemistry actually merge together to drive what the future is going to be and actually to really bring us better life, better in terms of health, uh, in terms of transportation, in terms of communications, etc. Now, what are the sentiments of the young people attending this forum? I think it's been quite exciting for them. And I, and I tell you what, because we are really beginning to see young people who understand the fourth industrial revolution much better than we do. We have been channeled into thinking in, 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 in what you call disciplines, but the young people actually transcend those. That's why you begin to see now even those that are two-year-olds, they, they are actually already teaching us how to use the current gadgets. And that is really the excitement that you see on them. On the opening, uh, for example, we had a very good talk by Professor Marwara on um, the fourth industrial revolution. And you could see that it's a very scary thing for us uh, who are a little bit old, but the young people, it's really an ushering of opportunities that are endless. So I think uh, they, 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 the young people are very uh, excited about it. I mean, you got yesterday, today, there's a lot of even... Uh, primary school learners who are attending some of these sessions and I had my own kids there and they were telling me they went into a genetics class and they were learning about how cancers are caused etc. So they really are finding this exciting. And what does this mean for the African continent as a whole and ensuring that uh, we are able to develop going forward and achieve or assist in achieving the sustainable development goals? It means two things for Africa. It means a very scary future if we fail to take advantage of this. Uh, or it means an extremely bright future for the continent if we really take advantage of it. And I'll tell you why. We, we always talk about what we call the demographic dividend, which means that we are a continent that is full of young people. And we need to therefore empower them through skills that will enable them to survive in the fourth industrial Because if we don't, that's where the problem comes in, because you're going to have a lot of young people who don't have opportunities. Um, and when they don't have opportunities, they are going to create problems, whereas if we learn to build a future where our young people are enabled and they feel that they own their own future, it's going to make sure that um, we have a brighter continent, because when you look into the future, it's going to depend on who buys and utilizes the products. And if a continent has got young people, that means that's where the future of business and commerce is. But that will only work if we develop our own and we've got our own technologies and intellectual property 
if we're going to be buying, that actually means that the continent is going to be enslaved, basically. Now, speaking of the future and looking at the future, how often is this forum going to be held and is it always going to be in South Africa? Yes, it's a South African initiative. Thanks to the continent, we're going to continue to host it here. It's just that the logistics of it um, is quite difficult in moving it around at this point in time. Um, and South Africa being an easy place to arrive to, I mean, in most cases, you've got direct flights, whether you're coming from uh, North America, South America, Europe, uh, Australia, Asia. So you, you do have that direct um, you know, traffic into South Africa. So it's much easier for us to organize it here. We do it every year, and I think over the past couple of, it's just been growing every year. I mean, this year's one so far has really exceeded by far what we have been able to do in the past couple of years. And also in terms of representation from the African continent, we've got, I think, a number of countries that are represented from Sudan to Egypt down to uh, South Africa, and then we also have uh, people who come from Europe, uh, Germany, the European Union, and um, a whole lot of others who come from Brazil. So it's really a full package. Asia is well represented. We've got uh, Japan, we've got China. So it's really becoming a global showpiece of science in the continent. And what's the reaction of patrons, the policymakers, the people who are here from all over the world to attend this forum? What's been their reaction? They've, they've had a very positive reaction. In fact, a lot of them have actually come out to congratulate South Africa uh, for what it has been able to do. Uh, we have uh, moved from a point where this kind of event will normally be held in Europe and in, 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 in America. But now we have started this showpiece, which has enabled us first as a continent to have um, dialogues around policies because the issue of beginning to consider ourselves, for example, as one single market as a continent is also going to depend on how some of our policies, especially scientific innovation, how they are actually uh, aligned. So we really are beginning to move into that direction and we have had a lot of positive positive feedback from those that are coming from other countries. Mboneni, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. It's my pleasure. And that's uh, Mboneni Moife, Deputy Director General of Science and Technology Department here in South Africa, joining us on the line. South Africa's power utility ESCOM says its power system has improved and says load shedding may be averted from yesterday until the 13th of January in 2019. The power utility says improvements are due to maintenance efforts and decreased demand in supply as businesses and industries close down for the festive break. The announcement was made during an information sharing session at the company's megawatt headquarters in Sunning Hill, north of Johannesburg. Naledi Ngobo reports. 
Eskom says maintenance at some of its major power stations like Midupi, Kendall and Litabo Power Station have collectively added 2,000 megawatt into the grid, which is currently helping to stabilize the system. Eskom spokesperson Kulupasiwe explains. We still have a mountain of work to do in terms of retaining some other units that we want to bring back on stream so that we can have the stability and security of supply that we need. But so far things are looking good, which is why we don't have low shedding now for the fourth day running. The plan is to go through the festive season without low shedding and uh, that will happen through the maintenance that we are doing and uh, we are happy with what we are seeing now. ESCOM says it has concluded 35 new coal contracts between January and December 2018 to ensure a steady supply of the total value of 90 million tons of coal. Pasiwe elaborates. With the 35 contracts that we have signed, we are going to get uh, a minimum of about uh, 4 million tons, already uh, 1.2 million tons of that coal of the 4 million is uh, um, um, secured as soon as it's going to be con- uh, supplied soon and then the bulk will come later on. So over the next five years, ESCOM will be contracting over 100 million tons. So clearly we still have many more contracts to sign. ESCOM General Manager Den Mashejo says the company plans to reinvest in Cost Plus mines and extend the five existing Cost Plus contracts that it already has. A, a, a Cost Plus contract, uh, the first part, when you establish the mine, either the mine, you know, like a foot bill for the entire mine establishment capital, okay, or the two parties contribute, you know, like in certain ratios, 60, 40, and so on. So we have that hybrid. There are certain Cost Plus mines where the mine basically funded the entire establishment capital. So the mine now exists. So now comes the element of cost. What is the cost that we're talking about? That cost is the operating cost to, to run the mine. It is your staying business capital to, to run the mine, equipment replacement, expansion, and so on. Meanwhile, ESCOM also announced that it received a 1.5 billion rand loan from the French Development Agency to support its transmission efforts. Nine-point recovery plan that will ensure sustained improvement in plant performance and coal stock levels. I'm Naledi Ngobo in Johannesburg. Our economics update up next with Tabisa Luhoku. Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. The Civil Aviation Authority of South Africa has suspended airliner Semair from flying any of its 21 aircrafts in the country. This after the airline was found to be non-compliant and has a number of violations against the Civil Aviation Act. Among the violations is that Semair failed to produce proof of the appointment of an approved and qualified person for a critical position as required by the Civil Aviation Regulations. Furthermore, Semair has been operating some aircraft outside of permissible loading limits, meaning the weight of passengers and baggage declared by the flight crew were not the same with those recorded by the service provider contracted by Semair. The authorities' audit team has also recommended to the Director of Civil Aviation to revoke Semair's air operator certificates. The suspension has been active since Thursday afternoon. The executive of Aviation Safety Operations at South Africa's Aviation Authority, Simon Sehwabe. Based on the finding that we have now uh, had SMS air operator certificate have been suspended, meaning none of the 21 aircraft may be operated.
What currently what happened, the inspectors have made a recommendation to the director which are seeking to revoke the approval issued to Sam Air. Once certificate has been revoked, that means the renewal process that was underway will be terminated and Sam Air will have to apply for a new certification of their air operator certificate. Zimbabwe's mining minister, Winston Chitando, says diamond exploring company De Beers and mining company Vast Resources will be allowed to explore for diamonds in Zimbabwe, which could make them the first listed companies to mine there in that sector for two years. A spokesperson for De Beers and Anglo-American unit said in an email that De Beers was not mining in Zimbabwe and did not intend to. Vast Resources said it could not comment. Zimbabwe has been working to rebuild investor confidence since long-term leader Robert Mugabe was ousted late last year. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says he will announce a task team that will focus on dealing with the challenges of facing the country's power utility, ESCOM. Issues resulting from state capture and failure to maintain ESCOM's power stations has left the power utility throttled. Ramaphosa explains. I mean, the debt swap that ESCOM has come up with is, is just going to descend us into further deeper debt as a country. And tomorrow I'll be announcing a task team that is going to be looking at ESCOM in terms of the current difficulties, but we're also going to look at the business model of ESCOM. We're going to look at the funding model of ESCOM going forward. And we're also going to look at how should we structure ESCOM. Mobile money service in Eswatini has recorded over 20,000 subscribers. The country's mobile's corporate communications manager, Nosipo Shongwe, says Eswatini Mobile is in the process of recruiting agents who will make the service available in all parts of the country where their network is accessible. She says that this is being carried through their existing distribution network as the company is in the process of improving its network coverage, mainly installing new base station sites for connectivity. The Bank of Botswana's governor, Moses Pilayelo, has allayed fears that inflation will shoot beyond the Reserve Bank's 3 to 6% medium-term target. The central bank chief this week says the outlook for price stability remained positive as inflation forecast was anticipated to remain within the medium term. Pelaelo says inflation increased from 2.9% in September to 3.6% in October and is expected to edge up slightly in the short term, mainly driven by the increase in domestic fuel prices. He says the subdued domestic demand pressure and the modest increase in foreign prices contributed to the position, or rather, the positive inflation outlook in the medium term. Financial indicators at this hour on Channel Africa, the African perspective. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.46, Botswana Pula, 11.91, Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 3.86, Brazilian roll. At 66.30, Russian ruble, and at 71.44, Indian rupee. 6.87, Chinese yuan, 14.13 dollars to the South African rand. It's also trading at 79 pence to the British pound, 87 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,241. Platinum, $791 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $61.12 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa.
Our sports updates up next with Figle Lingwati. First up in our sports update, it's swimming news. Team South Africa have qualified for their first relay final this morning at the 14th FINA World Swimming Short Course Championship in Hangzhou in China. Swimming in lane 6 of heat 1 of the men's 4 by 50 meter freestyle, the quartet of Bradley Tandy, Chandler Claw, Douglas Erasmus and Ryan Kutsia finished third in a time of 1 minute 25.10 seconds. That time was good enough for fifth overall and a sport in today's final at 1300 hours Central African time. Meanwhile, Emily Fasahi, swimming in her first event of the championship, finished in 34th place out of the 49 starters for the women's 100-meter breaststroke. Versace's time of 1 minute 09.46 seconds was a full 5.70 slower than the leading mark set by American Katie Maley, 1 minute 03.76 seconds. And in football news, South Africa has formally bid to replace Cameroon as host of the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations, the AFCON. Uh, that's from the South African Football Association officials. Earlier yesterday, Egypt said it was willing to stage the biennial African football showpiece after Morocco surprisingly announced it would not bid. Morocco had been strong media favorite to host the tournament for the first time since 1988. Last week, Cameroon was stripped of the rights to stage the tournament with African football body CAF citing behind schedule preparations and security concerns. The deadline for bids is 1200 hours Central African time today with the decision on who replaces Cameroon to be made in Senegal on the 9th of January 2019. South Africa are the champions of the COSAFA Under-20 Championship 2018 after they beat Zimbabwe 4-3 on penalties. Amajita, who were the defending champions of the annual tournament, came from a goal down to force the match to go to penalties. Coach Tabosinong says next for his team is to go into camp in early January to prepare for the Under-20 African Cup of Nations in Niger. We have to camp very early in January, the 10th, that is the plan and uh, make sure that we prepare, we base our camp in hot areas. And uh, towards the uh, end of January, we'll be playing two friendlies in West Africa. Get in Niger early, adapt, spend 10, 12 days in Niger, adapt to the heat, adapt to the fields, and then uh, prepare for the tournament. On top of lifting the trophy, Amajita players also walked away with individual accolades. Lyle Foster finished as the tournament's joint leading goal scorer with five goals. South Africa's midfielder, Promise Mkuma, was voted player of the tournament. Mkuma says he's always willing to go an extra mile for the team. Of course, you know, I think it, what makes it sweeter is the way we had to come back into the game from behind. And I mean, Zimbabwe had a good team, so I think uh, the boys really fought. And you know, in uh, past interviews, I always spoke about brotherhood, and I think that was the most important and deciding factor today. You know, we stuck together even though we went one nil down and we came back and we equalized and then we went to penalty. And finally, with golf news, Oliver Becker ended the opening day of the Alfred Dunhill Championship with an outright lead after a back nine birdie spree at Leopards Creek in South Africa's Mpumalanga province. Becker coped well with the blustery conditions as he eased to the turn in 33 with three birdies and one bogey and he then raced into the lead with four consecutive birdies from 11th which lifted him to six under par. That's your sport news.
this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. A fire breaks out in the Democratic Republic of Congo's independent National Electoral Commission's building in Kinshasa. And the International Conference on the Great Lakes region calls on members to do everything possible to improve relations between Burundi and Rwanda. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Lebumuna Mukhulu, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz, rather double one nine two five kilohertz on the twenty-five meter band to West Africa is Robbie Malinga featuring Zahara with a track titled Bendi Rong. Wako, 